Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Osawa continues our series on Lessons from Life Stories, looking at the life of Hannah. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. Thank you very much, David and Vicki, for a wonderful opening. Uh, even if we didn't see the words on the screen, it was just uh, nice to be able to just sit back and take it in and just focus on those words. And for drawing us closer to the one whose birth we remember at this time of year. We're in a time of year that's referred to as Advent. That is, the time when we're preparing for the coming of Jesus. One part of this includes the anticipation and the preparation for the celebration of his birth. Advent is, however, also preparing for the day when Jesus will return. We don't know when, but he's going to return one day to consummate or bring together his eternal kingdom. O come, O come, Emmanuel, looks to both coming the first time, but also coming again. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. Our society tends to portray the season as a wonderful time to take a break from our routines, to spend time with family and friends, to put aside past grievances and be reconciled to those we don't get along with, to focus more on others and ourselves, sorry, focus more on others and less on ourselves, and to tap those cards, to transfer that money however you do it for those who may be in need of some help. The reality is, however, that many people are hurting. People are going through different trials and challenges in their day-to-day lives, aren't they? Some are sick. Some people are dealing with the challenge of looking after loved ones. Some are working through the grief of having lost loved ones. Some feel like nobody in the world cares about them. Some are out of work. Others are stressed out about work. Some are struggling with school challenges. And the list goes on and on. I'm sure you can add your own issues or challenges, whatever you're facing or you know others are facing to that list. And the challenges are usually magnified and often multiplied by the fact that we're going through this global pandemic right now, isn't it? Now, you're probably thinking, gee, Steve, thanks a lot uh, for that encouraging start. I'm glad I came out on Sunday morning. (laughs) But uh, if that's what you're feeling, please bear with me. It does get better from there. So this morning, as Steve mentioned, we're going to be looking at the life of Hannah. Hannah knew what it was like to be marginalized, to be looked down on, and to be made feel worthless in many ways. She knew what it was like to experience pain. She also knew how to celebrate the blessings that God provided. Hannah lived a life devoted to God, and her example points us to Jesus. Interestingly, her name means favor or grace. Let's just open with a word of prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we just pause and just thank you for your goodness and your love. We marvel 
that the God who created and sustains the heavens and universe cares for ones like us and sent us his Son. Remember, especially at this time of year. Father, we thank you for your word and just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, guide my words, Lord, so that we can all just learn a bit more, apply it, draw closer to you, and glorify you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hannah's story comes from the first two chapters of 1 Samuel. We got a bit of an introduction to it last week when Mark spoke on Eli. The first part of 1 Samuel chapter 1 gives us a bit of context and a glimpse of the family dynamics that Hannah was dealing with. And for the context for the passage, we look back to the time of judges, when people did as they pleased. It was a time of turmoil, uncertainty, a time of chaos. Sound a little familiar? Thank you, Eve, for the technology and letting the slides be shown today. So, reading from 1 Samuel 1. There was a certain man of Ramathene Zophon of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohom, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to, to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. So our, our context this morning looking at, the, at who Elkanah was, in First Chronicles 6, 33-34, we read that Hannah's husband, Elkanah, was a Kohathite. He's from the tribe of Levi. Here we read that he was an Ephrathite. And it's likely that he was referred to as an Ephrathite because that's where he was residing. And from what we read, he had wealth and status in Ramah. So Elkanah took his family to Shiloh every year to worship at the tabernacle. He was probably about 24 kilometers away, but that was still a pretty good trip in those days. It would have been one of three annual festivals that all the males of Israel were required to gather to on an annual basis. And it's been suggested that this festival was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Passover. The family unit was of critical importance in Jewish society. And husbands would sometimes have more than one wife, particularly if the first did not bear children. Hannah is named first in our passage, and it's likely that she was the first of the two wives. And I think it's really important to note that Hannah, the Bible doesn't say that Hannah told her husband to go get another wife because she couldn't have children. In other words, she didn't take matters into her own hands 
as was the case with other women who couldn't have children. For example, you may recall how Rachel took matters into her own hands and told her husband to have children through her servant Bilhah. Now, this doesn't seem quite right according to our societal values, but that's how it was in those days. Children were and are a blessing from God, aren't they? Children were crucial for carrying on the family line, for helping with work, for, for providing for their families and looking after the families in the latter days, sorry, parents in the latter days of their lives, among other things. There was no Canada pension plan. There was no old age security. There are no retirement homes or anything like that. You depended on your children. And the inability to have children was, therefore, a huge concern for women in those days, just as it continues to be for many today. Women had very little status to begin with, and while we know that they weren't to blame if they didn't have children, it served to further diminish their status. Hannah couldn't escape that reality. When Rachel was able to have a child of her own, she she noted God has taken away her reproach or her disgrace. And we read how Penina used to take used to provoke Hannah grievously to irritate her. She was put down. She was bullied, and that was her reality. And as we read, this went on year after year. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Now, can you imagine what the trip to Shiloh would have been like? Maybe you can remember family trips when your siblings or perhaps your, your kids were fighting during the, during the trip. I called shotgun first. Now, I don't know what shotgun would have meant in those days, if that meant you were at the front of the caravan or you were at the side of the caravan. But safe to assume that Hannah would have been wanted to be as far away from Penina in that caravan or in that group as she could have been. Elkanah, she looked at me again. She's bugging me. Oh. I was kind of wondering why she didn't just tell her husband that she wasn't going this year. After all, it was the males that were supposed to gather. And I know some of you are probably thinking, well, they brought the women along because they had to do all the heavy lifting and all the work. I would suggest that one reason she put up with this and one reason she went is because of her dedication to the gods. Needless to say, Hannah knew what it was like to endure painful circumstances. While her husband loved her, he didn't clue into the fact that his love didn't override the fact that she couldn't have children. We're told that when they went to Shiloh, it was so bad that Hannah wept and could not eat. Can anyone relate to that? The stress of something is so bad that you can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't focus on anything for any length of time. People find different ways to deal with the stress or to dull the pain. Some bury themselves in work or other hobbies. Some turn to substances. Some just go through the motions day by day, just hoping to get through it. Unfortunately, none of these fixes addresses the real, co- the real cause. And some of these so-called solutions 
actually make the situation worse. So how does Hannah respond to this? We read that she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So Hannah brings her pain to the Lord in prayer. At first, we may think, oh yeah, some prayer, right? She was just making a deal with God to get what she wanted. If you give me, I'll give you. Hmm. Sound familiar? God, if you just help me get this job, or if you help me pass this exam, or if you help me with this bad habit, I will, and you can fill in the blank, I'm sure. I think we've all been there. Hannah didn't just say she's going to raise her son to respect God. She was dedicating him completely as a Nazareth when she noted no razor shall touch his head. As an aside, Joseph Scriven was a man who experienced many trials and hardships in life. And his words of encouragement to his mother, who was back in Ireland at the time, include some of these. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Verse 13 tells us Hannah was speaking in her heart. And Eli, the priest, sees her mouth moving, and he thinks she's drunk. But Hannah answers, No, my lord, I am a woman, troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Hannah shows grace in addressing Eli's accusation, just as she showed grace in how she responded to Penina and to Elkanah earlier. It takes two to fight, and sometimes the best response, as much as we want to give it back as good as we get, is just to let it go. God brings peace. Then Elkanah answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Hannah experienced God's supernatural peace. It's clear, at least to me, that Hannah experienced God's grace in a real way that day. We have a God who cares about us, That and the fact that we can experience peace during all these weird trials, these challenging trials, is mind-boggling to many who don't know the Lord. It may not always be immediate. Even for Christians, sometimes that peace doesn't come right away. And then the Bible says, They rose early in the morning, and what did they do? They worshipped before the Lord. 
And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I guess I can take this off. This was my substitute for makeup this morning if I was going to be on camera. Sometimes God's answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait and see. Sometimes the pain isn't removed. But this shouldn't be interpreted as God punishing the person or not having enough faith. God is with us during the painful times of our lives. You with me, sorry? Aha. God's with us during the painful times in our lives. In 2 Corinthians 4, we read this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Sometimes we get what we ask for, and then we regret asking for it. God works in our lives in ways that will draw us closer to him, and in ways that ultimately will bring honor and glory to him if we choose to follow his leading. Elkanah continues to go to Shiloh for the annual sacrifice, and Hannah stays behind, waiting until Samuel is weaned. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she, was, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing before the, there. Sorry, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my, my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Hannah made good on her vow. Children were generally weaned when they were three or four years old. We don't know if Eli remembered this woman that he thought was drunk those years ago. As we noted last week, Eli's example isn't always the one that we should be following, even though he was a priest. And here comes Hannah, somebody who's all about God, and what does that cause Eli to do? Her example brings Eli to worship. Hannah did, didn't just bring her son. She brought her sacrifice. And we aren't told what the purpose of the sacrifice was. For example, we don't know if it was for a sin offering or if it was for a fellowship offering. Or maybe Hannah brought it so that her son could be consecrated. We're not sure. We do know, however, that it was a very generous offering. And it must have been a bittersweet moment for Hannah. She had gone through so much when she couldn't have a child. 
and now she was bringing the child to the temple. Samuel would grow to know God more and to serve him as he grew up. His mother noted he would be a Nazarite or somebody consecrated or dedicated to the Lord. And these vows were normally for a set period of time, but in Samuel's case, his mother dedicated him for a lifetime. Hannah's prayer Sorry. Hannah's prayer tells us what she was thinking or feeling at the time. I won't read the entire prayer, and that could be part of your homework for today. But a few verses. And you can just think about what David Hook read from Luke when Mary was speaking. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. She said, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit the seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Hannah's prayer shows her commitment to God. She acknowledges God's holiness and the fact that he has no equal. God has the ability to intervene in our lives, and he has that authority to intervene in our lives. The same God who set the pillars of the earth. So my question is this. Can each of us say the same things? Can we say that we agree with the statements? Do we acknowledge God is the creator who set the pillars of the earth? Do we accept the fact that he is holy and that he has no equal? Do we accept the fact that he chooses to intervene in people's lives? Hannah's prayer is also prophetic. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of the one he has anointed. In First and Second Samuel, we see this as being fulfilled in King David. And the same word used for anointed refers to the Messiah in Daniel chapter 9. Some suggest, therefore, Hannah is suggesting that so some suggest that Hannah is actually prophesying here about Jesus, the son of David. When Mary was pregnant with David, sorry, with Jesus, she was visiting her cousin Elizabeth and uttered a song of praise that you've heard about that David read, sometimes called the Magnificat. Many of the elements of Hannah's prayer are found in that song. And although it was read, you might want to add that one to your reading list this afternoon too. And it's found in the first chapter of Luke Gospel. And that was the song Vicky sang just before I came up. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit exalts in God my Savior. Amen. So Elkanah and Hannah go home and leave little Samuel to minister to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. 
I think it's safe to infer that Hannah taught her son about God's holiness and his goodness before he was weaned. He may have been a little boy, but I think it's safe to assume that she did her best to explain what was going to happen. So it wasn't just a surprise when he was at the temple. I think she tried to prepare him for that. And leaving him must have been incredibly tough regardless. Every year, Hannah would make him a new linen ephod, and that was part of the clothing worn by priests. As thrilled as she must have been that her little boy was growing up to know and serve the Lord, it still must have been incredibly hard for her to be separated from him. No phone calls, no Skype, no FaceTime, no messenger. And Eli continued to bless Elkan and his wife. Actually, he pronounced the blessing, but we really know who did the blessing, don't we? Hannah had three more sons and two daughters. So to summarize, we see Hannah, a woman who was marginalized, a woman who was bullied and of very little worth from a societal perspective. Hannah responded to others with grace and took her pains, her concerns, to God in prayer. She put her faith in God and her prayer was answered. She experienced God's supernatural peace in the midst of her pain. Hannah fulfilled her vow and dedicated her only son to God. She noted that she was lending him to the Lord and left him to grow up to serve God. What an act of devotion. What an act of love on her part. She made him a linen vest or ephod every year. And I think it's pretty safe to assume that she prayed for her little boy constantly, every day, probably more than once a day. And it must have been so tough for her to leave after those visits, even though he had been dedicated to God. Hannah recognized and acknowledged God as the Holy One, the one who set the earth on its pillars, the one who raises up the poor. She realized it's God who's in the control, and he'll give strength and he'll exalt the one of his choosing. Hannah's prayer points us to the Lord Jesus the son that God sent to be born as a baby, to live as a human, to die for our sin, so we can each be reconciled to him. What love, what grace. The gift is free. Each one of us has to accept it, though. And the great thing is that you can open the gift now. You don't have to wait till Christmas morning. Hannah's story is the one of devotion to God at all times. Moving from pain, to prayer, to peace, to joy. I trust that each of us can apply something from Hannah's example. Whether it's committing our painful trials and challenges to prayer, whether it's praising God for the multitude of blessings that he's given us, or maybe it's both. It's my prayer today that everyone here, and everyone on Zoom, would experience the joy of knowing the Lord and that everyone would be living in a way that honors him during this Advent season. Thank you, Lord, that you came, that uh, you brought joy to this world, and we thank you that you are coming again, and we look forward to that uh, kingdom that will be established and your reign on earth. We we uh, pray that as we 
go through this Christmas season that, uh, like Hannah, we would remember your presence in our lives, that we would uh, speak to you often, that we would uh, rely on your blessings and your your uh, gifts. And we pray that that uh, we would, uh, as we have been singing, uh, usher, help usher into this world your kingdom. And we pray that it might come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.